0: Hi, and welcome to the jungle. My name's Tom Kislingberry. I host the Read and React podcast
1: with Sticky Z. It's all about defensive players. We know it seems like a scary world with all the savage beasts and dark corners and mysterious ruins. So we want to help you through it. We fight through the linebacker lemurs and the nose-tackled nasties and the cornerback creepers, so you don't have to. IDP is all about getting an edge, and we will give it to you now. Sticky,
2: pass me that machete. You're listening to the Dynasty League football podcast, where there is no off-season.
3: Welcome back to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. You are listening to episode 302. I am your host, Matt Price, joined as always by Ryan McDowell and Dan Myler. Ryan, how are you tonight?
2: I'm doing well. Doing well. We got another great guest this week, so I'm excited to talk some
3: draft. We do. We have an amazing lineup uh, starting last week with, with Paul Pertichese and then our guest tonight, Matt Waldman. I'll go ahead and spoil that. <laughs> and then next week, uh, we hope to have Elliot Christon. So that's a pretty good set of guests going into the draft. But Dan, uh, before we get into Waldman stuff, how are you doing, man?
1: Good. And like you said, cl- getting closer and closer to the draft and digging more and more into these players and trying to translate their talents on the field to our dynasty game. It just gets more and more fun. The closer and closer we get to the draft and that means we're that much closer to drafting these guys on our team so can't wait
3: yep just 10 days as of this recording right 10 days I think we're out now and uh Matt Waldman how are you doing buddy I know you've got uh I know you're probably ready for the draft and I bet you're ready really ready to start writing that post-draft RSP huh
0: yeah. As a matter of fact, I am, but it's been a nice little break, you know, thus yeah. far, just getting a chance to do some podcasts and sleep a little bit and, um, read some books that have nothing to do with football. And so it's been kind of a fun little, little mix. I've just read a compilation of the wire by Bleacher Reports, Jonathan Abrams. Um, that was kind of an oral history of the show. Cause I was always a big fan of that show oh, so yeah. I watched that today. Cause my buddy, Gene Bram will send it to me on Friday and it's done. That was like, that was a fun read. So it was, Good yeah, I
3: heard. I heard you talk. You got you and you and Bloom talking about that on the last uh, episode of On the Couch, I believe, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah so that was, it, a, that was fun. Yeah, it's a good show, and my and it's kind of fun because it, my my wife's from. She's not from Baltimore, but um, her dad's her dad's from Baltimore or lives in Baltimore, and he was a former um, Baltimore police um, detective in Vice. He was an undercover Vice detective for a number of years, so he could attest that that show was for real.
3: Well, well, that's it. We're gonna we're gonna cancel all the dynasty content for night. This is going to yeah. be a The Wire podcast for the right. No, we are going to get into the rookies. That's, of course, why we have Matt here. He is, of course, the author of the the Dynasty Bible, really, the the RSP. Please go check that out at MattWaldmanRSP.com. And, of course, if you're not already, follow Matt at MattWaldman on Twitter. Before we get to the rookies, guys, uh, we had a couple of uh, news items this week. First off, Cam Meredith, uh, his offer sheet was not matched by the Chicago Bears, and he's going to be a New Orleans Saint next year. Matt, we'll go to you first here. How do you see this fit working out in New Orleans with him? Uh, You know, of course, uh, assuming that. Is healthy
0: yeah and i think that's the big assumption with him is whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to go he sounded like that he was a little non-committal about how soon it was going to be but if he is healthy enough you got to like the fact that he's got some of that after catch ability he seems to be pretty good in zones and he's going to be a player that i think will get the opportunity to be with a great communicator in drew breeze um so he's going to be an excellent compliment he would be somewhat of a you know, an upgrade to what they've had in their receiving core if he can stay healthy enough. And if not, and he's only kind of a part-time player, you still get added depth. And Sean Payton and Breeze and company are are pretty adept at being able to use part-time players very, um, you, you know, very productively. So it may not be great for fantasy owners on the low end, but on the high end, it could wind up, it could wind up with a wide receiver, too.
3: Yeah, Dan, uh, does this kind of spell the end of, of Willie Sneed here in, in New Orleans, at least. You know, it, he didn't really do a lot last year coming off of uh, a couple of injuries. You know, we kind of expected more from him after that season that he had in 2016. Uh, what do you think about that for this landing spot for Willie Sneed and what uh, Cam, Cam Meredith does to him here? I kind of thought that was going to be the move that was going to come
1: right right after the, the Bears declined to to match that offer was that Sneed might be released, but since that hasn't happened and maybe still that's still coming down the pike, uh, I, I would I would say as dynasty owners we we should uh, look at it as a a big downturn for for his potential or his upside at least for for 2018, as long as he's with the Saints. Now, as Matt said, that's a big question mark, Cam Meredith's health, because we don't know much about him. Uh, He hasn't seen the field since that big injury a year ago. Uh, but all all signs point to him being healthy and ready for a training camp and, and ready for the season. So we'll see how that all shakes out. I, I know that it makes you makes you think twice about Ted, Kent, Ted Ginn a little bit and his upside and certainly about Willie Sneed and, and what he can bring to the table because there's just not enough snaps for all those guys to be on the field all the time and, and get enough targets.
3: Ryan, I'm going to phrase it to you this way because I haven't really seen – really any movement on the trade finder with him since that signing, which I thought maybe would have happened. Somebody would have been excited to either buy or sell him. Uh, what What are you doing with him in terms of the dynasty value or buying, selling? What, what would it take for you to move either direction?
2: I think he's a buy for me. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the move. We always get excited when these skill players go to the saints or the Packers or the Patriots, these teams that have shown that they can, take guys like Willie Sneed and and turn them into fantasy starters. So uh, I'm surprised there hasn't been more buzz. I I know it's only been a few days, but I I would certainly be buying Meredith. It seems uh, that his price is, is around that early to mid second round range. If you're talking rookie picks, which I think is, uh is certainly fair when you look at the rookies that are likely to go in that range. And as far as Willie Sneed, yeah. <laughs> I think this is this is just another bad sign for him. The the lack of playing time was a, a huge one. And then he he's he's actually a restricted free agent right now. Got I think he had one visit and uh no offers as far as as far as I'm aware of. I hate to say just just cut bait, but that's, that's pretty much the point we're at. And, and it seems like what, th- that's what the saints might be doing. Yeah, that was, that was sad. I mean, I, I just,
3: he was, he, he, a couple of years ago, you know, he kind of reminded me of Lance Moore a little bit and what he did uh, a little bit longer ago back in the saints, but it does seem like he is he's certainly dead right now in terms of his dynasty value. Uh, one other uh, big news item, of course, that happened just just yesterday or the day before Des Bryant was cut by the, the Dallas Cowboys. They kind of did him a little bit dirty, cutting him here. At the, at the basically the tail end of free, free agency or free agency already being over, you know? So well, while, we'll go back to you here, uh, where do you think Des might, you know, I, I guess we don't know really where he's going to land. There's a handful of teams that, that uh, uh, he might, that are showing interest anyway, but where do you think might be the le- best landing spot for him?
0: You know, it's a great question. And right now there seems to be a possibility that he might even resign with Dallas. It, l- it sounded like that there was some, there okay. was some potential um, there at least discussed that it might happen. But, you know, you really want to look at a a team that is, that has a, I think he'd want to work with a veteran quarterback. I I think that that's probably where he'd want to start. And he'd want to be with someone that's willing to throw them in an offense that's willing to let him be that sideline beast that he's capable of being in terms of fade routes. And then also, you know, slant routes in the middle of the field to get him running. So, you know, interestingly enough, I think that if, if he'd be willing to play second banana to Keenan Allen a little bit, it'd be interesting to put him in San Diego with Philip Rivers, who's willing to throw the ball up, you know, up for grabs a little bit. So that would be kind of fun. Um, And then you're looking for teams otherwise that are kind of have a dearth of receiving talent, or could he could be possibly even a mentor to some teams. Miami might be interesting, you, you know, in terms of what he could do there. I mean, again, you know, you have some, you know, you look at the receivers and with the, you know, Devonte Parker there, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. he needs a little more guidance. I don't know. I mean, it might be just be more from example in terms of what we have here, but it also seems like that he's very motivated by the NFC East wanting to <laughs> what's going on with Dallas, which I can't say is the height of maturity from a professional standpoint mm-hmm. to want to do that. But I do understand why he'd be compelled to do so. I just don't think that it may necessarily be his best option. Arizona might be kind of fun with him and Larry Fitzgerald looking at you know losing John Brown and you know having a young Chad Williams who is kind of a player that reminds me a little bit of what Des Bryant might be, he could evolve into becoming. And you could have a situation where he's playing with a veteran like Sam Bradford, who can put the ball into into nice spots when he's quote unquote healthy enough. So those are a few teams that kind of come to mind.
3: I I agree with you. I think he needs to go to a team that, with a quarterback that doesn't mind throwing up those, those jump balls to him or those 50, 50 balls, whatever you want to call them. It just seems like Dak is too kind of too conservative of a quarterback, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but for Des's style of, of play, it doesn't really, it's not really helping him out there, Dan, I would not mind him with the Packers. Honestly. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, him in the red zone with Jimmy Graham and Devontae Adams, like it's going to be a nightmare probably for fantasy owners. If something like that happened, you wouldn't know where the touchdowns are going every week, but, but offensively for the Packers, that would be a huge boon in my opinion.
1: A fellow Packer fan mentioned it to me as soon as Bryant was released. I'm calling it right now. He's going to the Packers. I got <laughs> that text. And I I rolled my eyes and thought to myself, there's no way. That's that's just so not a Green Bay thing to do. Then the report by Schefter came out that there were the four four teams interested and the Packers were listed, and I thought to myself, well, I guess it is a new general manager and you never know what Gutenkunst is is going to do uh, when, when rebuilding this team. You know, Dez is a he's an interesting player. He's not the same player he was a few years ago when he was catching 90 balls and double digit touchdowns. He's never been really all that good at separation and he's worse now than he was even, even when he was probably below average, his his strengths are all in the red zone and, and in the end zone and those jump balls that you guys were talking about. And I agree with you, Matt, that he needs to find his way to, to a team with a, with a quarterback willing to make those throws. And and I don't know necessarily if Aaron Rodgers is that guy. He likes the Jordy Nelson guy that, that breaks uh, and, and he can throw open and Des isn't that kind of receiver. So uh, just for fun, yesterday when when the or a couple of days ago when the news broke and I had a few minutes I I was looking through depth charts and trying to find the team that he fits perfectly with and and I looked over those four teams that Schefter mentioned uh I I came across the Dolphins like Matt mentioned and, and thought about you know maybe a mentor but I I think most teams would would think uh Dez as a mentor is probably a negative. He he probably drags some of those other receivers that need that mentor that that guy uh, to look up to. He'd drag those guys down even farther a little bit. DeVonte Parker looking at Dez Bryant to be a role model would not be a good thing. You know, we've heard the rumblings out of Dallas that that, you know, he, he gets on coaches and then he has something to say to the quarterback all the time. And, and that isn't going to sit well with a lot of quarterbacks. So, you know, I, 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 like I was saying, I was going through all the teams and the team that I thought needed him the most was the Cowboys. So it's just, (laughs) it's, it's just perplexing. And I, I scratch my head and think what the heck is going on? I don't know where as a Des Bryant owner in a couple of leagues, I don't know where I necessarily want him to land. The one team that I thought was really intriguing was like maybe Seattle with, with Russell Wilson who runs around and, and gives those second chance opportunities. And, but and I liked what Matt said about Arizona as well, but I I don't know if there's a perfect fit out there.
3: Ryan, from a dynasty value standpoint, if somebody comes knocking on your door right now with say the 112, are you selling Dez for that?
2: Uh yes. Yeah, I'm I'm taking any first rounder uh this year or or future year. And I, I I did I saw him traded for the one twelve in one of my leagues, so I think that's that's pretty much spot on. I also t- saw him traded for a, a mid second and a and a prospect receiver. So again, uh, kind of that same range. Uh, his his ADP is essentially as low as it's ever been since we've been tracking that at DLF. It's uh, fifty seven this month, and I would expect with this news, uh, of course, for it to drop even further in. In May when we collect that data again
3: that's just crazy. I, wasn't it like three or four years may was four years ago when he was like the consensus 101
2: yeah, yeah I mean uh, if you look back to um, let's see November uh, as late as November of fifteen so yeah less than three years ago he's the top five player and and months prior to that uh, first or second off the board. Uh, and it's it, it's been a quick drop for him in November. Just this past November, he was still a late second rounder and a huge drop just over the uh, handful of months since then.
1: I really think that right now isn't, isn't a great time to, to sell though. I, you know, if you're getting offers sure, of a late sure. first um, maybe, maybe accept that. Uh, I, I think Des is one of those guys. He, all those reports of what he was saying walking out of the building and, and things like that, that, that points to a motivated guy. He's only 29 years old. He's still an athlete, even though he's slipped a bit. He, he I wouldn't be surprised if he has a big 2018 just despite Dallas and Dynasty owners can take advantage of that. So I I don't know if today necessarily is the best time to sell. Obviously, there's going to be spikes in his value uh, soon, most likely, unless he ended up in, in just a horrible landing spot.
0: Another option that I might think that would be interesting because it also plays that NFC East angle and also fits what the team may need and where he fits well is Philadelphia. And the reason that being is that when you look at Alshon Jeffrey and his ability to stay healthy at times, and then you look at the opposite side of the field, you know, Aguilar plays in the slot a little bit more often. And I know Matt Collins is a a favorite among dynasty owners in terms of his upside, but you could see where, you know, he fits into that spectrum of being a quick hitting option who can also win in the red zone. And because they play a lot of that spread look, that college look of, you know, let's, let's have Carson Wentz, you know, read option, hop into position, get off the quick throw. That kind of fits the quick hitting nature of Des and also in, you know, within 30 yards of the line of scrimmage where he can get enough separation, but doesn't need to have like a full step or two on a defender. And that's where Wentz is probably best in his deep throwing because he's never been great as a, as an accurate vertical thrower beyond about 25, 30 yards that's unless he's running around with his head cut off and being able to buy time a la Ben Watt, Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson. Um, so that might not be a bad instance. Also as maybe even continuity if he's willing to accept a res- lesser role where if Alshon Jeffrey doesn't quite work out or they can use him as kind of a a package player, a sub-package player, that could be interesting too.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, they would have to do some wizardry probably with the cap, but we see it every year where teams that are up against the cap that... Can somehow manipulate the money around and get things Done like that but yeah I like that too And then Dan I like your point that maybe just for spite He's going to come out kind of like Steve Smith to The Ravens and 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 really just kind of stick It to the Cowboys this year so all Good points there fellas let's uh, move on to Some rookies Uh, we are going to do our Kind of our rookie round Robin that we did last week With Paul but before that I have a couple of General questions for you Matt Um, One of the things this season like I don't know Why especially for this season for me um, Specifically that This year seems to be the year where we're kind of saying that if a running back, again, doesn't catch the ball in college, they can't do it in the pros. So we saw that last year a little bit, especially with one of your favorites in Jamal Williams where you were saying, you know, I think he can do a little bit more than than they let him do out there. So, so how do you, like, kind of kind of project that from a player for a player that we didn't really necessarily see a receiving profile in college and be able to kind of take that leap and, and say that he might be able to do it in the NFL? One player that kind of sticks out to me specifically is, is a guy like Darius Geis who we're going to talk about a little later. Even like Ronald Jones, you know, didn't show a whole lot of receiving profile production in college, but that doesn't mean they, they they can't, they can't do it. So, uh, I I guess is, is there anything specifically that you look at that, that, that shows you that maybe they can do more in that part of the game than they did in college?
0: Yeah. Quality over quantity is kind of the thing that I look for when it comes to this particular area and I, and the things I look for is, are they catching the ball with their hands? Are they using the correct technique when they do it? Are they used, um, when they are used, are they used sometimes downhill? Um, you know, or in a vertical game where they can track the ball over their shoulder? Are there some targets where they're making plays and tight coverage? Uh, have they taken hits when they're catching the ball? And it doesn't take, you know, I think I've I noted probably six or seven things. And usually there's, rece- you know, as running backs, they've had six or seven passes thrown their way over the course of three to four years that there's enough that you can see that. I even remember when Alex Collins was, um, playing at Arkansas, and I saw a play from him where he made a one-handed diving stab on a on a wheel route that was in tight coverage up the left sideline of a game where I thought, that's enough. I mean, it, it's not what I want. It's not ideal. I'd like to see a lot more than that. But that's enough for me to say he can catch the ball. You know, I know that if they're willing to target him in that situation and he can make the play in tight coverage, working over a man, acrobatic, keep his feet in bounds and do all that that shows an integrated skill set for catching the football, that that's what you want to see. And the same was you know the case with Leonard Fournette. I mean, even the Jaguars were – it was funny to me because I think of the Wisconsin game where Leonard Fournette wins one up the left sideline on kind of a wheel-like route or a, or a bullet route up the sideline and catches it over his shoulder. And I'm thinking, I've seen enough catches with them anyway, but if this was anything that was a question mark, this should answer it. And the Jaguars in spring training camp were like – we're surprised, you know, he's a better receiver than we expected. I'm thinking, yeah. well, that tells me they don't watch every game either. So it's it's one of those deals where, it, you know, as long as you see some of that and you don't see troubling issues on a consistent basis with on the few reps that they get, I'm not so worried about it. And if you see like concentration drops or odd odd situations where the target isn't ideal and they don't make the catch and there's few reps – I don't necessarily count that so much against them to say that they can't. I just may say that it's a little bit of an awkwardness because they're not used as much. And, and so I tend to keep an open mind in that area. But if there's some work and it's good work, that's enough.
3: I like that. Uh I just get so tired of people saying that, you know, he didn't do this in college, which means he can't. Let's just, you know, give him the benefit of a little bit and, and maybe like look at the scheme and, and the fit that they're gonna go to and the pros and that kind of thing. So did you work on um, polar
0: bears in college? <laughs>
3: uh,
0: I definitely studied them, yeah. But did you did you work on them one on one? Did you actually like have to I like did not. I did okay, not see there you go, your <laughs> proof, right? So I can actually <laughs> do
3: it. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Um One more question before we get into more specific players here uh, that that we want to ask you about, Matt. You know, other than Saquon Barkley and, 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 you know, feel free to not include him if you like. Are there any players specifically that kind of stick out? It doesn't really matter where they go, whether it's a scheme fit or a culture of a team. You think they're going to probably have success no matter where they end up?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say Josh Rosen, even though that's very polarizing for a lot of people um, because they think of the whole cultural element and cultural fit. But I think he's a strong enough personality that basically he's going to run other people out of there if they're not, um, who are kind of above him, who, who might have had any misgivings. Because from what I've seen over the years of him as a college player, he's been one of those guys that's been able to Ask the right questions. And he, at first, he didn't always do that, but now he's gotten to the point where it's like he's gonna he's gonna do what Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees do, which is basically say, "Look, I want to win. We're here to win, right? We're here to you know, you got to help me prepare. If you're not giving me the answers to the questions I'm asking, you're not helping me out. What professional is going to be able to respond to that?" you know, in a fashion if you've got a player who's demanding more information and demanding the, the right kind of information. And if he's playing well enough early on, who's si- who's going to take the side? The player? They're going is the owner going to take the side of the player, or is it gonna take the side of the coach? I think he's gonna take the side of the player. He's invested more money in that player early on. So that's a guy that I feel good about. I think Nick Chubb can play in any scheme. He's one of those guys who can catch the ball. Um he's obviously a favorite of mine and I think he's the best he's the best back in this draft. So I, I feel that way about him. I think Royce Freeman's better than people expect, and he's a player we can talk about more, but I I, I think that he's someone that will come in and probably be able to do a, a lot more than you would expect, um, maybe from where he's going to land.
3: He's another one of those that, again, we're saying that he can't catch the ball. Can he catch the ball, Matt?
0: Yeah, I think he can catch the ball. <laughs> I think he's a pretty good blocker, too. He can get better. He, he's going to have some things to work on, but... Yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated with his game, and and so there's guys like that. I think you know there's some slot receivers that would do really well, but there's all they're all such kind of like it's all about how they fit and how they do in terms of what the teams are going to allow them to be that that's, that's going to matter. But a lot of them could come in and play kind of dual roles of you know part slot receiver, part outside guy like Juju Smith Schuster, Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup. You know, there's guys like that in this draft, a lot of them, which makes it such a really fascinating um, class as a whole.
3: Absolutely. Dan, let's get into it. Go ahead and toss out your first player for Matt. Let's let him do his thing. Well, Matt,
1: I love to hear you talk about quarterbacks. And, and the guy I want to ask you about first today is Sam Darnold. And it's not necessarily because I'm I'm really high on Darnold. It's more actually because I hear about all these people that are so high on him and feel like he's that lock to be the top pick in the draft, or one of the top picks in the draft. And every time I watch him, I see all those things that people talk about: the big arm, and the accuracy, and the willingness to go through progressions and and make the tough throws. But I you also see those mistakes and those head scratching decisions, the the trying to fit it in in a window, the gunslinger mentality, and and throwing back to back interceptions uh, on back to back drives, and you know all those things add up to, to me feeling like Darnold is being projected so highly because these executives and, and these guys that are way smarter than me see way out into the future as, as this guy is going to project out to be that franchise quarterback. Cause I don't think he's there yet. I was wondering what your thoughts were on Darnold and if you feel he belongs at the top of this draft.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know any executives personally, but from what I do here, they're definitely not way smarter than you. And I would say that, <laughs> you know, but I would say to you that, uh, that, you know, what you're, you're talking about with Darnold does make him one of the biggest wild cards of the quarterbacks in this class. And I think everyone I've talked to who has some sort of NFL connection or job has kind of said that every quarterback in this class makes them uneasy for a reason, but I've heard that a lot every year with some guys who've turned out to be pretty successful. And when you look at Darnold, the uneasiness stems from the way that they look at the, at the players and they look at quarterback as a whole. And that's part of that. He doesn't have great technique immediately in two areas. One is the, the arm motion, which has that, that odd elongated pattern that freaks people out a little bit. And then you have the footwork that comes with it. What's funny is that, The arm thing's probably never going to change all that much, but he's proven that that's that's not the big problem. He doesn't – Tebow has that big – Tebow had that big windup, and that was a big issue – but Brett Favre could drop that thing, as you guys knew, he could drop that thing down by his knee in his 40s and and still be able to get the ball out. It wasn't a big deal. And I think Darnold's more closer to that category of player in terms of his arm motion. It's the footwork where he's got his feet parallel to the line of scrimmage and he can't generate a lot of velocity on certain types of off-balance throws. And because of the fact that his feet aren't totally aligned where they need to be. He misses on some easy progression dump offs where that an Aaron Rodgers, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to have his feet in concert where they need to be. He's going to get rid of the ball efficiently. And then when it's time to actually evade the rush, he's going to be able to, he's already rehearsed enough off platform types of deals that he can do things that few people can. Well, Darnold can do some of those few things that only Rodgers and the, and you know Stafford and the few others can can do on occasion, but he misses those easy throws, and missing the easy throws is is really the difference between being a NFL starter and a successful NFL starter long term. And so he's going to have to shore that up, but that tends to be the easiest thing to work on. Um, so really, it comes down to you know how willing he is to work and whether and and really work on the footwork part of his game because he's already said I'm not working on the arm motion I'm going to keep that the same and I agree with him because it, he's not gonna be able to change that. That's like someone who's been playing an instrument for like 15 years and it's so ingrained in them that they've done it thousands of times. They're not going to be able to fix that very easily. Um, and th- he's not in a desperation Tebow situation to try and do so where he'll revert, you know, it's not going to work or it's very rare that it will, but the footwork is something that's easier to correct. Cause it's not as, it's not as much muscle memory in, though it seems like it, it's not as much, in, in the way that the arm motion is because it's not as minute. Um, and they, they've been working on different footwork combinations for years. So it's kind of a it's kind of a thing that your mind kind of realizes that you're going to have to learn new things with your feet. So I, I like him, but I can see where being as young as he is, um, if he doesn't wind up in the right situation and he winds up somewhere where he gets thrown under the bus a lot early or there's a coaching change or two, he could wind up being the Mark Sanchez of this group. Um, but if he gets into a stable scenario and he has talent around him and he's able to continue to make one good step after the other, then I think you're seeing a, a, a good starting quarterback in the NFL three to five years from now. See,
1: I, I'm, I'm really interested in him. And and it seems like my interest as a dynasty owner, at least, in, in the second round of rookie drafts, late second in a standard standard league, and, and maybe a little bit higher than that in a super flex, obviously. But my interest is, is hinges completely on, on that landing spot with him. I, I seem to feel like if he were to land in New York where he could sit for a little while and, and work as a professional, not necessarily under the spotlight of, of, as a starting quarterback, I might be more interested in him then – than if he lands in Cleveland and maybe will will be on the field a lot faster. So uh it, because of all those good things that we talked about, I, I see the potential, but I, I don't necessarily know if I want to invest in it yet. It sounds like you're pretty much the same. We're sharing I, a brain on
0: it. I am because I would love to be I'd love to, I, I like quarterbacks to sit for a year or two. I just believe in that. And it sounds very old school, but you know, when you have scouts tell you that, look, the NFL doesn't know how to develop quarterbacks. They don't know how to do it. They don't take the time to do it. The owners are so reactive to every environment about coaching and winning and to what they see on TV, as crazy as it sounds. But it's a lot like draft day. I mean, it sounds crazy that it would be like that movie. But when you see the owner saying, you know, make a splash, you, you know, there that's a very simplistic way of how some owners actually react, which is, Teams have kind of figured out now or are people within these teams who are in, you know, personnel roles when they're charged with trying to help find a GM or a coach or a candidate for something. You know, they may have someone that they know is going to be really good unless they're a great salesman and totally have the ear of that owner. They know they might not be able to bring that guy as a name up to the owner because they know the owner is going to say, no, really, who are we going to get? You know, as opposed to saying, let's do this because, what ends up happening is that a business partner or someone that they're a big sponsor or something that they saw in sports center, you know, they, they want someone that's going to get the the approval from that public eye. And it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, check your own company, wherever you go, where you have a CEO or you have a head of a government branch or, or the, the Dean of a university or whatever. And, and they very much have one eye peeled to the PR angle of what's going on sometimes and they they can be overly reactive, and I think that that's that's the danger of of getting him, you know, put into a spot with that type of ownership and a and an unstable coaching uh, unstable coaching setup where he could just wind up being kind of ground up, you know, by the steamroller that that's a bad team. So if he can be with at least a decent organization with a good quarterback, even if the team hasn't been good. I'd be okay with that. You know, even if sitting in Arizona behind Sam Bradford and knowing that if Bradford gets hurt, he may get in, but when Bradford gets healthy enough for a game or two, he can have at least a couple of games of a break um, before Bradford gets hurt again. It, you know, that would still be all right because you have somebody in the quarterback room who's been through a lot who can mentor him, and that would give him at least a fighting chance.
2: Matt, I had... Yeah, I'm going to stick with the quarterback position, actually. I wanted to ask you uh, about a couple guys, Mason Rudolph and Kyle Lalletta. Uh it, it seems like, uh, of course, all the talk is about the big five, including uh, Darnold, obviously, and and these guys that we expect to go uh, in the first round and likely early in the first round. And, and I just wonder, as, as fantasy owners, I know Matt and, and Dan and I all play in a lot of super flex leagues and I feel like Rudolph and Laletta, in in a typical year might be prospects that would be getting a lot of attention and maybe they're being overlooked this year. I I just wanted your, your take on on those two guys really quickly and and their potential dynasty value.
0: I agree. I think you're right on that. And it would probably be the smart play to pick these guys up in the mid rounds or late rounds, depending on where they fall. You know, Rudolph is, I think he's a strong deep thrower who people say is kind of mechanical and robotic at times. and, and that he can, you know, that his accuracy can be a problem in the short and intermediate range. Um, and I've seen some of that. Um, but at the same time, I also see where, when he's been completely healthy, that he looks fairly dynamic at times. He has flashes where you go, "Wow, this guy might be able to make that jump to becoming a starter." He's going to need a couple years. And the the big thing is going to see is going to be whether or not he displays the confidence that to actually deliver at the point where he sees something come open. And that's the difference between most guys who are in the college game and the pro game is that are they going to hesitate just a beat too long? And if they if they can, you know, really shore that up and just as soon as they see whatever keys that are in front of them to just let that ball loose just in the same way that when you listen to you know, really good actors that they're always on beat with their line and there's no real stumble or any type of issue as as soon as they see the stimuli they're reacting to it. It's the same thing with quarterbacking and performance. And I think that Rudolph, that's what you got to see with him, but he's got the big arm, the big body. So he's probably going to get drafted early enough by the old school NFL think that will give him that opportunity. Kyle Aleta, I think isn't that far behind, if not, you know, maybe even a slightly better prospect in some ways, and even though he's a smaller school prospect, I love what he does in a, you know, three-step, five-step, seven-step drop game. He's very good in the play-action game. And I love his quiet feet, which is just his ability to maneuver the pocket with, you know, economy to move just as he's as necessary, not in the way that I explain things, which is the opposite of that. But, to be you know, to be able to do that and deliver the ball, you know, accurately after that movement and i think that that's something that's a tough to teach skill and i would not be surprised if he winds up being one of the bigger risers in this quarterback class after after the nfl draft because i've heard that he might get you know picked earlier maybe in the first or second round is kind of a dark horse you know selection so i like both those guys i like lauleta a little bit more because i think he'll get a little more time but we'll find out after the draft if he ends up a first round pick everyone's going to be talking about him
3: yeah, both of those guys seem you know, likely for someone to trade up towards that you know, 32nd and 31st pick just to be able to get that fifth-year option with them. Um, so I like that. Uh, but I think that most of our listeners probably don't play in Superflex leagues. Shame on you guys. Uh, so, so let's jump off of the quarterback position because they, they might uh, be a little bored right now. Let's go up to the top. Everybody wants to talk about Barkley. Everybody wants to talk about Chubb. Let's talk about Darius Geis because this is a guy that – If you haven't read his story about why he has such a chip on the shoulder the way he plays, please go do that. This guy, is, I think, is a really incredible individual both on and off the field, Matt. uh, Again, he gets that stigma, you know, and I think it's the same thing that happened to Fournette last year that, oh, he just doesn't catch the ball, right? So this is one of my favorite players in this entire draft. You have him at running back three. So just kind of wax poetic a little bit here about Darius Geisen and where you see him going in the NFL draft maybe or where you see like a perfect fit for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's a smart, physical, and versatile runner, and he's someone that I I, know, I hear a lot of the Marshawn Lynch comparisons. I kind of see him more as a Frank Gore guy, and that's where I agree with um, Daniel Jeremiah because he hits a crease hard. He's got good pad level. You know, he comes out the other side with a really good lean, and you see that kind of combative skill when he gets the ball and he gets wrapped up. And when you talk about, you know, his ability in terms of zone or man, he runs, he runs a lot of gap style plays Um, you know, a lot of ISO looks where you have the fullback lead Um, but also he can run the zone play, which is good. So he understands how to press blocks. He can do it a little bit better than what he does right now, but that's something that he's going to, he's going to improve upon. It's, it's not an issue where he has, you know, major flaws with his maturity or anything like that when it comes to, you know, running the ball. And then when you talk about, you know, as a receiver, I mean, he adjusts his body easily to the target. I think he sets up screens really well. Um, And I think that he can catch the ball from what I've seen. He's been able to do it with a defender trailing him pretty tight. So that's enough. That's the quality over quantity type of thing with him. And I I think that because of the fact that he's been the competitive nature, this is more narrative, but I think it's important you talked about who he is with a chip on his shoulder. Any player who says, look, I'm going to LSU, even though Leonard Fournette's there and he's like the biggest sensation in college football right now. I'm still going because I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to compete with him. I'd learned this in college in high school football to that, you know, the guy ahead of me, I learned so much, you know, working behind him so that when it was my time, I was ready. The fact that he actively said, I'm going here because the best is here, or the one of the best is here, that tells you it doesn't matter who he gets drafted behind. His confidence is not going to be an issue. And confidence is such a big deal in the NFL when it comes to a performance profession. If you've ever performed in any level on a stage, got up in front to speak in front of people, whether it's a training and a corporate environment or whether you were a musician or an actor man you know there's a big difference between you're practicing what you're doing and actually doing it in front of an audience and being hyper aware of that audience and he just doesn't care you know and that and you know he's just like i'm ready for it i'm up to the challenge and that means that when he screws up he's less likely to go into a hole compared to some of these younger guys who oftentimes that happens to them. I mean, look at Deshaun Kaiser and look what happened with his coaching staff and how they handled him. And it's, it's hard because he was kind of on an island the entire year in Cleveland without a mentor. And he was kind of risen, you know, raised to the heights and exalted before the season started. Next thing you know, they were like, we don't want you. you. You're not worth what, you know, you're not worth what we paid for you. And it was just that's hard for a guy who's in his early 20s, you know, trying to deal with that, especially with all the pressures and trying to learn all the things that you need to learn, not only on the field, but off the field. This is the first time they're probably paying their own bills. This is the first time that they're having to deal with, you know, and then they're having to deal with fame on top of that. I mean, college fame is one thing, high school fame is one thing, but football, you know, NFL fame, like pro- professional fame yeah that that is an entirely different animal and we don't always make as big of a deal out of that as we should so for me when i see guys and of all the nice refined skills that he has as a gap and zone runner as a he's a decent blocker who's going to get better and as a solid receiver who will just get more opportunities he's an every down back to me and he's a guy that with the mindset that he has i would not doubt him in the league
3: when he was five years old, his, his father was, was murdered. And the last time thing he remembers telling his father was that he was going to play for LSU. So he's a guy who has known what he wanted his entire life and he's going to go out there and get it. So I, I love that. Dan, let's uh, let's do another round here with Waldman Start off with you here.
1: I'm going to switch it over to wide receiver now, Matt. Uh, a guy that I really like in this draft is DJ Moore uh, coming out of Maryland. And you know, I've heard a lot of the NFL co- comparisons to Stefan Diggs, which I think is kind of kind of easy because they both came out of Maryland and I, I was a Diggs fan as well. The guy that Moore reminds me so much of is Greg Jennings, the former former Packers wide receiver. they're they're similar in stature. Um, and then and then when when Moore ran that 40 time at the combine, I thought, well, maybe he's faster than Greg Jennings, but I went back and looked and, and Jennings ran a 446. More with a four-four-two. That you know, like I said, they're similar in size. They're both good uh, intermediate and short route runners. That neither one of them were, or at least in college, especially were especially good vertically. Um, both both good at the crosses and the slants and and the dig routes. Um, not necessarily those vertical routes or those post patterns. Um, what are your thoughts on DJ Moore and his upside? Going into the NFL. I, I think he has to land in the right landing spot, of course. Um, it, it would really be helpful if he landed with an accurate quarterback because he's he doesn't have great separation skills, although that speed certainly helps. What do you what do you think of more in his dynasty upside?
0: Oh, I think it's very strong, and he's he's tied for second on my board at that position. And I think he could have as much upside as any um, wide receiver in this class. I like the Greg Jennings comparison. I like Jennings coming out of school. And the player that I compared recently to Greg Jennings was Chris Godwin, the Penn State wide receiver from Tampa. And I actually compared more to Chris Godwin, um, you know, in this particular – in the RSP. And what I love about him is that route running. That's the hard part. When you can drop your weight already as a as a wide receiver and run those hard breaks and do it as smoothly as he does, to be that technically sound already on the on the more difficult routes – I'm not so worried about the post patterns and the deeper routes and the fade routes, because some of that's about earning position. Some of that's also about having a quarterback who's accurate and, and having someone that who's going to trust to throw those deep balls. And he hasn't, I don't think he's really experienced that in the college level at this stage of having a quarterback, who's going to be like, here, I'm putting it on you and it's your job to get into that position to do so. And the fade route for him has been the difficult one because He's got the athletic skill to to execute it, but he doesn't really understand the footwork to really get into position and win against tight man coverage. And he was oftentimes just leaning on, let me see if I can chop and duck my shoulder and get outside a guy as opposed to using a variety of footwork and handwork moves. So that, and I think he's a more rugged runner than any of the guys that we just mentioned. Like I think Godwin's a pretty rugged guy and he bounces off contact pretty well, but to watch DJ Moore on some jet sweeps and, see defensive ends and outside linebacker types, you know, hit him in the legs and, and hit him, you know, in the waist and him just bounce off that he's a really good runner. I mean, both in terms of power and balance, as well as his ability to make people miss and set them up in the open field. So he's a player that when I look at his game, I think he has potential. He's going to be a slot receiver, you know, pretty easily early on, I think. But I think he could develop into that outside threat and be someone that you suddenly rely on more often as you know, maybe not a wide receiver one, but pretty darn close. And if he's in an offense with a strong quarterback, a productive quarterback, he could wind up being a top 15 fantasy prospect at that position in any given year, kind of the way Marvin Jones is or the way Golden Tate has been or Jarvis Landry though they're all different players from DJ Moore, just talking about role and how he can be versatile enough to do that.
2: Matt, it seems like every year uh, at this time of year, there, there seems to be a player that maybe we should have known about throughout their college career, but but uh, fantasy owners just start learning about them at this point. Uh, for me, that's Naheem Hines running back from NC State. And uh, I've seen lots of comparisons, you know, calling him the next street Cohen or, or something like that. And, and uh, I know dynasty owners are certainly chasing those pass catching backs after seeing the impact Cohen had in in limited opportunity. And and obviously guys like uh, Alvin Kamara and, and, and other players who are making an impact in that facet of the game. Uh, what are your thoughts on
0: Heinz? Yeah, I like Heinz a lot. I mean, He's someone that reminds me of kind of a blend between two players that one, maybe dynasty owners who aren't around our age range might not have heard of, and one who, when I mention him, they'll probably go, uh, and just be kind of like <laughs> mad about the whole thing. And that's, you know, the first guy that they'll be mad on is Ronnie Hillman. You know, when you think of Ronnie Hillman, people are like, oh, all that promise with Denver, and he couldn't maintain the weight enough, and he was fumbling the ball left and right whatever, but he was exciting because he certainly knew how to run between the tackles. He had sudden quickness. You could see that he could break a tackle or at least bounce off a hit and he could catch the ball reasonably well. It was just, I think, a matter of confidence, um, weight usage, and all of those kind of put together and he just never really panned out. The other player is Charlie Garner, um, who was, you know, a John Gruden favorite in Philadelphia and Oakland who was undersized to a degree, but rugged, and I, and I see a lot of rugged balance from Hines who bounces off contact, especially kind of those indirect hits that are difficult to maintain balance with. And he does it near at the line of scrimmage a lot. Um, so I know that he's more of a momentum power player, which is, which is fine. You know, if he can get through a crease and get that speed going, he understands how to have his pads low and he can, you know, push – he can push defenders for a good bit of time, you know. So I like that about his skill – you know that he's sudden, that he's decent around physical play. Um, it was interesting to me on film though, because you see his forty time you're seeing, oh, well, he's a four, three, second, eight, forty. But he got caught behind a little more often for me than what I expected to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happened a, a fair bit where he just seemed that he played slower than his acceleration rate, you, you know on the you know in terms of what you see from workouts. Um, but you could obviously that as a as a pass protector, he was pretty good. You could see him peel off and fan out to to attack um defenders after he maybe chips somebody. Um, and I also think that if he as long as his ball security gets better, he could be he could be a strong contributor, but his ball security is awful. I mean, he catch it, he's he puts the ball on the ground once every sixty three point eight five touches, which to me is, that's pretty darn low. Like you want to see like eighty or above as at least a bare minimum to say there's something good going on here and trending to the better. But this is this is low on a level where you say he's really got to work on this. And if I were a you know if I were in training camp and a defender and I you know I would probably be going. Let me look at the fumble rates of some of these running backs in this class, and you know, and let me get a chance to get it on the ball, um, and just like punch that ball loose um you know and make a name for myself here so Heinz is Heinz is an interesting guy but I think there's other scat backs in this class that I would probably be targeting a little bit more he reminds me also of Chris Thompson a bit where it's going to be usage in a way where um it might take him a few years to find that landing spot and to find that usage pattern
3: Matt, uh, let's talk about a guy, a little guys, a little bit deeper, Chris Warren. I don't really hear anybody else talking about this guy. And, and in fact, I went to the DLF rankings and uh, oh, the only person that even has him ranked here is our Dan, is our Dan Myler here talking with us today. He hasn't at the 47th overall rookie. You have him just barely missing your top 10 in the, cl- in the position in this class. So talk a little bit about Warren here. I know you said that he was probably your most difficult evaluation in this class. So, so talk to us a little bit about him.
0: Yeah, because when you look at Chris Warren heading into this year, the running back coach for Hughes, for the for Texas came from Ohio State, and he coached Ezekiel Elliott. And while a lot of this is probably a you know more of a hype piece summer thing for um for the Texas Longhorns, you also have to realize that you know he did say, I think Chris Warren could be one of the best I've ever coached if we're able to get you know teach some of the concepts that we need to get him to learn. And, you know, just shore up some things so that we can really refine his game. And when you look at him at 6'2", 250, the the confusing part about his game is, is he fast or is he quick? And at first, you looked at his combine times and you saw quickness. But if you were looking at his film before that time, you thought maybe he he was more of a build-up speed back more than he was an, an unbelievably quick guy. Then you go look at his pro day and you see that he, instead of running that 4 7 or whatever he ran at the combine, he ran a 4 5 4. And then you're further confused as to really how his game all kind of fits together physically. Um, but when I watch him on tape, I think he has enough initial burst to get through the crease in the NFL and maybe on some design plays outside he's capable of being able to execute those. Um, the thing that you don't see necessarily is the suddenness with change of direction. And that's very important for a lot of types of runs, especially zone runs. Um, so when I look at that scenario, it, it's a, it's kind of more like he might have to be a really good fit somewhere because he may not be quick enough to do what, say, LeGarrette Blunt could do, which is to be able to make those hard jump cuts and bounce things outside or find that secondary crease at the line of scrimmage and really press and cut back. But at the same time I see him on film and I see moments where he's able to drop his weight and make a cut, but he wasn't fast enough out of those cuts. But then you look at his combine again and see his three cone drill and it's an unbelievable time. And I'm talking unbelievable, not only for like, you know, a 250 pound back, but for any size back, when you see a guy like him run a 6.98 three cone and have a 4.18 you know 20 shuttle, you're talking about great acceleration and great um, change of direction. So is it an issue of him being able to read the field a little bit better? Is it an issue of him being able to make better cuts and get more technically sound and take advantage of his raw athletic ability? Or is it that he just tested better and he's always just going to test better than how he plays? And that's what makes him a difficult option. But he's a smart runner to me when I watch him on gap plays or lead blocking plays um, because when he gets into that second level, he understands how to use his size to win. He's a decent blocker. He's a good receiver. They moved him to tight end. So we'll see if a team is willing to try him at running back first and really give him like a year before they give him that, oh, let's move you to tight end and maybe we'll hear about you in two to three years later. Um, But in terms of just raw talent right now, where he's at, I I think he's one of the most intriguing running back options in this class because if he proves that he can play to his quickness on tape, I don't care that he ran a 4.69 at the combine. What I care is that 4.18 and that 6.98 in the 20 and 3 cone and the fact that he is powerful and you put all that together and you wind up with a player who could be a thousand yards back in the NFL.
3: Yeah, big big backs like that that have such quick feet like he does, and definitely intrigue me going forward. So it's going to be fun seeing where he goes in the draft in just ten days, guys. Um, well, since it is uh, you know so close to the draft, we might as well go ahead and do our two round mock here, starting now. Give Matt a little bit of a break from from uh, just talking about players. So, and we're going to start it off with you, actually, Matt Waldman. We're going to give you uh, the, the easy pick here at the 101. and uh, and we'll do a full twelve, like we're doing a twelve team draft, um, non snaking
0: PPR. PPR, PPR. All right. Well, right now, I'm just going to say I'll say that I would probably go say Quan Barkley 1.01 on a PPR league based on where I think he's going to land. Um, but it, I would give Nick Chubb some some serious thought um, or a serious thought of trading down to possibly get him.
3: I just wanted to see if you were actually going to take him or not.
0: <laughs> I've taken him in most, but it's it's kind of fun. It's so close. Yeah, it's so close. So. I would say that most likely most likely I would probably trade down so that I could get I could probably get Chubb um but at, you know some drafts I would go why not it'd be fun and to You, see could, get the you could get the hall you get a hall
3: for that too you could definitely yeah. get a hall doing that for sure uh Dan you drew the second pick I think the second pick is
1: pretty easy one for, for all the reasons that Matt uh talked about earlier with with Geis. uh I I think he's not as landing spot dependent as some of the other running backs that would maybe be considered around here. Uh, I feel really good about him in almost any offense and and feel like he can make a Fournette-like impact as a rookie right away. So Geis is an easy second pick for me before the teardrop.
2: Ryan, you're up at the 103. All right, I'm going to take uh, Matt's guy. I'll take Nick Chubb at three. I was
3: hoping he might fall to four, but I will take his teammate at Sony Michelle here at one point four.
0: And back to you, Waldman. Yeah, and at this point, I think that it becomes probably I probably will take Carry on Johnson because I like him and I and I think that he's a little bit better than people realize, and I'm excited to see where he lands.
1: Hmm, that's an interesting one to me. Last week he went twelfth in our mock. So, so he moves up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go with this guy that I took at five last week and that's Kelvin Ridley. I still feel he he's the number one wide receiver and uh, probably makes, makes Ryan's pick pretty easy next up.
2: Uh, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take i I'm going to take a wide receiver as well. My wide receiver one, DJ Moore
3: that was that That seemed like the obvious choice for you there ryan for sure okay i, I thought uh, he was thinking of another player <laughs> uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take the one that i think dan was probably thinking you're taking rashad penny i am concerned about that elliot chris called him the worst pass blocker on tape that he's ever seen in his life so <laughs> i don't i don't know necessarily if that's that that's the case that he is the worst he might be the worst in this class um, but hopefully they figure out a way to use him there. I just love that. The production he has, obviously, the size, everything. So I'll take Rashad Penny here at the 108.
0: Yeah, and to me, it's just like I look at this running back class and it's, I'm biased because I think it's the best one I've ever scouted. So I'm just gonna load up at this point and decide, you know, for me, it's gonna be between a couple of guys. And I just like I just like Royce Freeman and I, and, I, and I know that I might be able to get him a little bit later. Um, but he's a guy that I wouldn't want to miss on. I feel like that he's he, he's a he's one of those guys that we're going to look at and go, wow, he should have been up there with the top five.
1: Mm, that makes it difficult for me. I was hoping you'd take one of the two players I was considering here at ten and, and to make it easy on me, but you didn't. Uh, so I'm going to go back to. Uh, no, I'm going to go back to running back, and I'll take Ronald Jones here. I know the there's a lot of question That's marks surrounding of. him. Uh, was considering a wide receiver here as well. But but I'm still high on Jones, and, and I like what i see seen on tape more than what I saw at the Combine and, and some of the things that have come out since then. So uh, I'll settle in with Jones at 10 here and, and feel like his drop from – being considered the third or fourth or fifth best player in this draft now down to 10 is a value. And if, if you're a good team holding a pick in the later part of the first round, you got to feel pretty good about, uh, about getting a guy like Jones.
2: Matt, I don't know about you, but uh, my wide receiver rank and, and my wide receiver draft board, if you want to call it that, is is really so fluid with this class. I think if I did this, yeah, yeah. if we did the same thing tomorrow or, or even in 15 minutes, I might take a different player here. But uh, this time at the 11 spot, I'm going to take James Washington.
3: I can't believe you did it to me. Again, Ryan. <laughs> you knew it, too, because
2: you knew I didn't want Sutton. You
3: knew I didn't want him. <laughs> But I guess I, I guess I'll take him here at the 112. I'll go ahead and take Sutton
2: of it. I my heart was with James Washington this big. Uh,
3: I'll um,
2: recap the I'll that, recap the first round. Go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say that that may have factored into my pick a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> of course it did. Uh, I'll recap the the first round here real quick. Saqu- Saquon
3: Barkley, Darius Guy, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, on Johnson at five, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, uh, Rashad Penny rice freeman ronald jones and then of course james washington and Cortland Sutton to round out the first round
0: matt Waldman started us off at 201 yeah 201 i think i'm looking at this and i i think i would do it because i just particularly i I like this player and i think that he's gonna turn out to be everything that some people thought he was way early on and i think that's um josh rosen i'll take josh rosen at 2.01
1: so rosen uh first quarterback off the board that's you keep surprising me, Matt. Uh, well, I, I have of... to play in leagues
0: with McDowell, who's like, you know, <laughs> so I have. To, I'm used to just like just come jumping up and reaching for players. So I, t- yeah, I try yeah, to make okay. old moves. That's where I'm at. Uh, I
1: I would love to take one of on, one of Matt's guys just to to make him angry, <laughs> uh, but instead or, or even. Ryan's
0: going to get another chance. Don't I guess worry. Him. Ryan's, Ryan's going up. to
1: upset him because ESP is still there. But I'm going to stay true to what wh- how I feel. I'm a little bit higher on Christian Kirk than either one of those guys. So, so And that was the last guy I was going to ask you about, Matt. I'd love to get your thoughts on Kirk. I feel like he was probably one of those slot receivers that you mentioned that depended on landing spot and stuff. But without knowing his landing spot, I feel pretty secure about him being a high
2: second round pick. I'll take Kirk here.
0: Yeah, he's a safe pick. Go
2: ahead, Ryan. Take my guy again. I could do it. I could do it. I I know who my pick is. I know who your pick is. (laughs) And uh, I'm I'm not going to reach uh, that much. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you have him. Uh, I'll take uh, 2.03 Equinemia St. Brown, 2.04 John Kelly. Let's keep it rolling. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I won't won't say it again, but John Kelly,
3: my favorite, my favorite uh, back in this class. Go ahead, Walman.
0: All right. So, Uh, I I like John Kelly. So that's nice. So two Oh five. So at this stage of the game, it's kind of like, all right, some of the guys I really like would probably drop a little bit further. And then I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm already going to take a quarterback in this class, let's not, let's take another one. So I'm going to take Lamar Jackson at Um,
2: (laughs) 2.05. Yeah.
3: That that hurts a lot of people in this draft with He's, I think he's all three of ours quarterback one in, in terms of dynasty anyway. Yeah, that really, you
1: know, I think we talked last week about there there being a little bit of a tear break right in here and and how you you feel good about the names that are getting called and all of a sudden you don't feel quite as good about the names that are being called. (laughs) Uh, So um, I, I think the last guy that that I really feel good about and feel like he, he belongs here. Um, This might be a spot where I would consider trading down and and getting the guy like a little bit better, but because he belongs here and I feel like obviously there isn't the option of trading down. I'll take Michael Gallup, the the wide receiver from Colorado state.
2: Mm. You sniped me. That was, that was my pick here. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) One for me. Uh, and and I certainly would have taken Lamar Jackson if I had the choice as well. We talked about it last week. This mid second is when I start looking at at quarterbacks and at tight ends. And with the top two quarterbacks off the board, I'll go with my top tight end, Mike Geseki.
3: I knew you were going to do that, McDowell.
2: I'm going to maybe this might
3: be a reach, but I just want to do it because McDowell is here, and I know he took him last week. I'm going to go ahead and take Antonio Callaway right here and hope uh, the off the field stuff does not haunt him going forward.
0: Well, that leaves me my top wide receiver in this class, so I'm going to take Dante Pettis at number one and feel pretty happy about my draft.
1: Okay, so that that leaves me with uh, a guy I took last week as well and was happy. Uh, I took him a few picks earlier last week, so so he slides a few picks later. I'll take Deion Cain and uh, feel really good about him late in the second. I like that pick.
2: Uh well since Waldman doubled up on quarterbacks I guess I'll double up on tight ends and I'll go Dallas Goddard at the 211.
3: Yeah, that's, that's that 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 seems right.
2: <laughs> I will finish it. <laughs> I, I, he, Ryan gets me every every freaking
3: mock. Everyone. I never get upset You're at no mocks love. except for McDowell. McDowell he gets me at every mock. I don't know no why love. but it drives me crazy.
0: I uh, want to play more leagues with Ryan <laughs> just to try and get him back.
3: Uh, I will I'll finish finishes up here with Jeez, oh, there's so many, so many, so many choices. Uh, I, I'm gonna go ahead and take. Uh, look, I guess I'll take a third quarterback here. I'll take. I'll take Baker May- Mayfield. He's my quarterback two in terms of dynasty value in this class, and it feels pretty good to get him at the end of the the round here. So, wrapping this up here with the second round: Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk, ESB, John Kelly, Lamar Jackson, Michael Gallup, Gasecki, Galloway, Pettis. I can't read my handwriting. Dion Kane,
0: <laughs>
3: Dallas <laughs> Connor, and then of course at the end here, uh Baker Mills Mayfield. Thank you so much for joining us this week. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And every time you every time you talk, if you li- people listen, they'll learn something about the rookies in this class. So tell everybody where they can find you and your work going forward.
0: Sure, you can check out my videos on YouTube at the RSP Film Room, and they range from you know three to four minutes to an hour long. Variety of guests as well as solo projects. You can check me out on Twitter at Matt Waldman, and you'll find a lot of um, tweets of you know articles that I've written at www.mattwaldmanrsp.com, and that's where you can find the rookie scouting portfolio. And ten percent of the RSP every sale goes to Darkness to Light, which is an organization devoted to preventing um, sexual abuse um, of children, and also being able to teach organizations, individuals, and communities about how to deal with the. Um, the outcome of abuse so that doesn't compound the effects on the victim.
3: Listen, guys, uh, we, we have Scott Fish with us at DS, DLF, you know, creator of Fantasy Cares, and always we do great. a lot of charity stuff here. And, and I have a couple of leagues with charity components in it. So, uh, th- just another reason to go out and buy the RSP. If you guys aren't, if you guys are dynasty players and you don't have the RSP, uh, you're not doing it right. So, Dan, Ryan, anything before we get out of here? Nope. Just always, like you said,
2: always love chatting with Matt and, and learning from him.
0: And likewise, and I learn a lot from the leagues I'm in with Ryan. So it's uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. So thanks for having me on.
3: Dan Dan is as a man of little words, so we're going to just go ahead and get out of here. Next week, we're going to have Elliot Chris to fire you guys up again right before the draft and talk some more rookies. Please listen uh, again next week uh, and follow Matt Waldman, of course, at Matt Waldman, at Dan Myler at DMio 22 Ryan at RyanMC23, me at can follow the podcast at DLF podcast. Thanks guys. We'll talk to you again next week.